I don't know of a single person who is good in sports whose long-term goal was to make the Olympics. I don't know of a single scientist who started doing science with the goal of getting the Nobel. What they had was short-term goals and very clear strategies how to hit the milestones in order to achieve the goals. And then those goals started building on each other. And that's when you get exponential success because one builds on the other. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I have a familiar face, uh, or should I say a familiar voice, as my guest this week. Uh, if you were a regular listener to the Connected Leadership Podcast last year, you would have heard my bi-monthly chat with Dr. Ruth Gotian at Well Cornell Medical School in New York. Uh, we didn't carry on those bi-monthly chats with uh where we alternated between Ruth and Luca Signoretti in, in Monaco last year, just for a change of shape for the podcast this year. But I did promise that I would bring Ruth back on the on the show, um, specifically uh, because she has something specific that I wanted to discuss with her. Um, but I'm sure this might this won't be the only time we have Ruth back because she's such a popular uh, and insightful guest. The reason for inviting Ruth back uh, on, on this specific show is that at the turn of the year, uh, Ruth published her very first book. And I am pretty sure um, in saying that I was possibly the first person in the world to hold a physical copy that I bought uh, because it was for some strange reason published in the UK about three weeks before it was published in the States. So I was probably the proud first owner of a purchased copy. Uh, the book is called The Success Factor, Developing the Mindset and Skill Set for Peak Business Performance. It is an excellent read. I'll, I'll be honest, uh, there are plenty of books in this space and it is a big challenge to write one that is original and bring something new to the table. Ruth has managed that. I would say it's a great blend of giving a different perspective on things we have heard before, but it's worth reinforcing, but also bringing new ideas to the table. And I think that's a really key, um, a key quality in a book, well worth reading. So Ruth, welcome back to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I can welcome you back as a published author. How does that feel? Yes, Andy, I am so excited to be here with you again, my friend from across the pond. So excited. And how does it feel to be a published author? Have you enjoyed Woo! the process? <laughs> well, look, my my first book was a textbook, which I edited with two other deans. That has a very, very different clientele. This book, The Success Factor, it just, it, it really reaches everyone. And I think that's because of the the cross-section of people who are profiled in the books, the types of people who are profiled in the book. And I am just so overwhelmed by the response. I mean, Andy, you know, you've written so many books already. You write a book, you want it to, you know, your name's attached to it. So you want it to be good work, but it's sort of yours. It's been you and the computer for months and months and months. And then it's out of your hands and it goes out into the world and you have no idea how they're going to react. 
But when the reviews come in and the five star reviews come in and the Goodreads reviews come in and the pictures come in, it's just so overwhelming. It's incredible. It's incredible. I want to do it again. It, it's lovely. <laughs> well, I, I think we might be having a conversation about that as a sneak, a yes. sneak exclusive. But let's <laughs> let's see. Let's see what the future brings. Um, but it, it is. It's a special feeling. It, you know, I don't have kids, so I call my books my babies. You've got kids, so uh, probably a different experience. But that putting something out there and what people I think don't really appreciate, or I think it's hard to appreciate if you haven't uh, written a book or recorded a podcast as well. Um, very similar is that you, you're not there at the point of delivery. So when someone reads your book, when someone listens to this podcast, you can't see the look on their face. You can't, uh, you can't experience their either pleasure or hopefully less often displeasure at, at, at what you've put out there. So when you do get that feedback, it's even more meaningful. And that's something I've talked about on the podcast many times. So true. And, and I, like you, I read every single review because it's that meaningful. Mm. Yeah. And people take the time to write it. I take the time to read it. Yeah, I still go onto Amazon and check for reviews on books I wrote 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, in case someone has, has read it recently and, and, you know, taken the time to write a review for that reason. And I'll at the very least, you know, put, click the thumbs up very often. I'll, I'll put a little note in there. So, okay, let's look at, talk about the success factor. So the principle is uh, what goes into becoming a high achiever. And in the book, you interview a wide range of high achievers from a range of different worlds. So, And you mentioned that just a moment ago, all the different people you interviewed. How did you decide who you were going to interview and what were you trying to achieve from that? So um, it's, it's really interesting when this really started with my doctoral research. Um, if you read the book, you know, I was 43 when I decided to go back to school and get my doctorate. And at that time, I was running what's called an MD-PhD program, the students who get the dual MD and PhD degrees. It's one of the most competitive programs to get into. It has a three and a half percent acceptance rate. And these students were the best of the best. And I knew I wanted to study physician scientists for my research. But everyone was so focused on those who were leaving the profession, very similar to the great resignation we're facing now. Why would people work so hard for so long toward a certain career and then leave? I was much more interested in a conversation that nobody was having. I was looking at the most successful ones. Nobody was giving them any attention. And I kept wondering, how can we create more of those people? So my initial research started with the most successful physician scientists of our generation. And then I got curious if what I found with those people, those Nobel Prize winners and, and, and top scientists, if the same thing would hold true for other extreme high achievers. And then I started reaching out to those. And then it was astronauts and it was Olympic champions and NBA champions and senior government officials. And, and it just kept snowballing and snowballing and snowballing and there's over 60 there's uh, 61 featured in the book and and they are from that wide range there's some very impressive names in there some that will be familiar to listeners of the podcast as well uh because they've, they've been guests on here and, and thank oh, you for those out. Uh, well, we've got people. well. There's Charlie Kamada, Devon Harris, uh, Bob Lefkowitz, off the top of my head, and and, and I think there's more in the book as well. Who there have you been go. You got an connected. astronaut, <laughs> Nobel Prize winner, uh, an Olympian. Uh, We're done. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, 
so you know it, it was it was i mean first of all kudos for getting those people into the book and that range of people when i'm talking to people about professional relationships one of the key things they want to achieve is to make connections with people they don't know who they might see as higher achievers than them uh, now i'm not saying for one moment those people are higher achievers than you but i am <laughs> um, uh, it wouldn't be for me to say how would you how did you reach out to them how did you manage to make those connections and get their time to to be interviewed for the book and that is why i'm so excited to talk to you about this because you are the king of these professional relationships and the way i reach over 100 of these people was through connections so the Nobel Prize winners was not too difficult for me because of where I worked. I actually worked with many and I knew many of them. And with all of these relationships, I reached out to them. They have known me for years. They know, like, and trust me. And they were actually excited when I reached out and told them what I'm doing because no one ever looks at them in that way. And, you know, they're interested in the prizes they got, but not in the journey it took to get to that prize. So that I was able to do. And once I had a few, and I, at the end, I would say, Are, is there anyone else you think I should speak to? And they would rattle off some names. And I would say, would you be willing to introduce me to those people? And every so often, if I wanted to reach someone I and I didn't know them, I would ask someone who I know who knows them to give me a warm introduction. And that's how I even met uh, Dr. Bob Lefkowitz. It was someone who I knew at Duke who knew him well and, and introduced me. And then with the astronauts and the, the Olympic champions, I really needed to know one astronaut and one Olympic champion, and then it snowballs. And I was at a conference. I met an astronaut. He was on a panel. And after the panel was over, everyone went up to speak to him and to the other speakers. And I waited till he was ready to walk off the stage. And that's when I talked to him. There was no one else there. He was unmiked, no one else there. We had a conversation. He introduced me to others and it snowballed. And um, the same things with the Olympians. I, I actually, <laughs> the fiance of the daughter of friends of ours, we happened to be sitting at a Friday night dinner and he was telling me about his time as an Olympian in Rio. And, you know, I wasn't interested in anyone else at the table. At that point, I wanted to hear about these experiences. He introduced me to others and it just, you just need one. And when people see that you are trustworthy and they get to know you as a person and they like you as a person, they are happy to recommend you happy. And that's how I got so many. 1995 was all through connections. And that's, uh, you know, it's exactly what I want to hear. It's exactly what I, I, I preach uh, religiously, fervently. Um, so many people try and shortcut this this stuff and reach out. I will always say, if you can, be patient, take time, ask for the introduction. Don't don't settle for a lead, a name, and you know, or, or, or mention my name when you reach out to them. Actually ask for the introduction because when you are, you know, you've been kind enough to make some introductions for me and vice versa. It, it makes a difference when you turn around to someone and say, you should talk to this person because they'll go, of course. But if, if that person is me and I reach out cold and they don't know me from Adam, 
I'm not going to get the same response. So right. it, it's so important that you do that and you're, you're testament to the power of that. And that point about how it snowballs, once yeah. you find yourself what I call a champion within that community, then if they buy into what you're doing, and I think a book like this is a really good example of something people will buy into, they'll start introducing you to other people. And, and, and you know what's there. even better than that is that was great. But I think people drop the ball of not continuing those relationships after the yeah. interview. I got what I needed from you. I'm done. Thank you very much. Here's a copy of my book. Yeah. That's a missed opportunity. You reached out to them because there's something about them which you value. You want to continue those relationships and maybe even form friendships, maybe form professional relationships because these people, they're good people. That's why you reached out to them. And most of the people have become very, very good friends as a result because it was not a one and done. We actually continued our relationship over the years. And to me, the, the, um, the funniest thing that that happened and actually both were on your show so i could i can i can say the name so right before i had a private book launch party for everyone who's in the book because i knew all of them but they didn't know each other and dr charlie camarda the astronaut he texted me right before and he said oh will dr fauci be there dr fauci is leading the covid response in the united states he's a pretty big deal here and he's featured in the book and i said you know, Charlie, we've got a pandemic going on. Dr. Fauci's a little busy right now. I said, but this Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Bob Lefkowitz, will be there. And he said, oh, a Nobel Prize winner. Now that's a high achiever. I said, Charlie, you're an astronaut. You went in a tin can <laughs> in the sky, right, into space. If you're not a high achiever, who is? But I quickly realized that he knows tons of astronauts. It's, it's his baseline. It's no big deal for him but he doesn't know a single Nobel Prize winner. Now, I mentioned this story to the Nobel Prize winner, to Dr. Bob Lefkowitz, and he said, I know so many Nobel Prize winners. It's not a big deal, but I don't know a single astronaut. I said, I can fix that. And then I connected the two of them together because the Nobel Prize winner never met an astronaut. The astronaut never met a Nobel Prize winner. I was the connector between the two. They found out very quickly that they are more alike than different. Now they have this whole what I call a bromance going on <laughs> because they found that they're so similar. They spoke for an hour and I see, you know, good, good friendship and possibly collaborations in the future for him. Happy to be that glue for him. And what I love from that and um, that you didn't mention is that uh, Bob Lefkowitz used to be a colleague of Tony Fauci. That's correct. Uh, so <laughs> six degrees correct. of separation there. Um, and it's a, it's a really, really lovely story. I, a, a couple of weeks ago, I gave a, a talk for UK Sport. So it was the uh, people from different governing bodies across UK Sport, including a number of elite athletes. And I, I stayed around for lunch after my presentation and I was chatting to a couple of ladies um, a couple of women walking towards a lunch queue and I joined their conversation. I think they were the last two to leave the room along with me and their conversation was, one of them was saying how she was training for uh, an Ironman and she hadn't done it before and how she was uh, getting her family acclimatised to the fact she wouldn't be around as much because she'd be training and so forth. And, and I said to her, so um, 
but but uh, have you been in sport? She said, yes, but my sport is, I'm not going to mention the sport because, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, in, certainly in the we'll UK. Say might give, we'll say bowling. We'll say bowling. We'll say bowling. It wasn't bowling. <laughs> um, but anyway, she said, but that was my sport. And it's not really um, the same thing. It's a pretty athletic sport, let me tell you that. And I said, so you're used to that. And we chatted a bit more, and I said a bit later, and I had a hunch who she was, but I, I try not to be, oh, are you so-and-so? You know, I try yeah. not to be that fanboy, as I call it. Um, but I said, but you, you, you um, I, I assume you... you uh, you competed at a pretty elite level for your sport. She said, yeah, yeah, I did. So, yeah, and then we carried on the conversation. I, I confirmed afterwards. I Googled and checked. She's a, she's a gold medal Olympian. Uh, <laughs> sport. Uh, see, that's, it, that's the important part, Andy, is you can't yeah. be their starstruck. Yeah. Because that's, that they're not going to have a conversation with somebody who's starstruck. No. You want to have a conversation with people who you know, like, and trust. Completely and, and treat as human, please. And, yes. and, and and that's what we do. We put people on pedestals and we think they're above us. And for both you and I, when we're giving presentations or people have read our books, that will happen to us as well. And I've always been uncomfortable with it because I've never seen myself as above other people. Friends might uh, argue with me on that, but but as far as I see it, I've not seen myself above others. Um, and you know, you mentioned just going up to someone, uh, coming off stage, uh, and and approaching them. In in my last book, just ask, I had uh, the Liberal Dem- Democrat leader in, at the uh, at the time, Joe Swinson, as one of my interviewees, uh, one of the best known UK politicians at the time. I approached her at an event at which she spoke. Now. I knew the organiser very well. She knew the organiser very well. That gave us a point of connection beyond just being a random audience member. But not only uh, did she give me an interview for the book, went to see her in her House of Commons office, but she, we stayed in touch. Uh, and, you know, every now and then we'll, we'll reach out to each other, exactly what you've been saying. Uh, I have loads of questions. We're still on question one. So <laughs> let, let's... Let's 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 build on this because there's a lot in the book I want to dig into. Um, so uh, let, let's 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 move on from this point. I think there's a lot of gold in what what you've just shared, by the way. Um, but it's sort of a bit of an extension to that because you talked about uh, continuing the relationship after you've interviewed them for the book. What role did professional relationships play? in the success of their high achievers. Did you find that there was a common thread in all the interviews where everyone was dependent, reliant on other people and valued that? Or did you see a difference across different, whether it was across different uh, disciplines or even within a different discipline where one person would really focus on their support team and others would say, no, I did it myself? No, this was uh, not one person said they did it themselves, not one. They all relied on these professional relationships to move them forward, but they also relied on the team of mentors in order to help prepare them for those opportunities, know what other opportunities existed. But one of the people who I interviewed, for example, was John Jarvis, Jonathan Jarvis. And uh, John Jarvis was the 18th director of the National Park Service. He oversees all the national parks in the United States, millions and millions and millions of acres in 50 states. And when you are confirmed, you're um, 
appointed by the president, confirmed by the Senate, you have to go to D.C. every so often. And every time he would have to go to D.C. for meetings, he would be sure to also meet with certain Congress people and senators to keep those um, those ties warm. Right. Not only when you need something, but, hey, I'm in town. Right. Uh, and another one um, was um, the former chief of staff to um, Senator um, John McCain, who later ran for president. And he when he was in fresh out of law school and he was working for this small boutique law firm in Louisiana, when he had to go for a case to D.C., he would reach out to anyone who he knew. They went to the same elementary school, the high school, the church, whatever it is, and he would reach out and he would meet with them. And all of the people did that. Steve Kerr, the eight-time NBA champion, and now coach of the Golden State Warriors, he's in the book. And when he retired as a player, he would actually, and he did sportscasting, and then he was thinking of becoming a coach. He actually reached out to other coaches, and he sat in on their games, and he watched what they were doing, and he was talking to them to see if this is something that he wants to do. What should I know? What don't I know? What do I need to learn? And that's how he that helped him move forward. Uh, the the um, That ties a lot in with one of the things you mentioned at the beginning of that answer, which was the importance of mentors and mentoring, you know, turning around to people who would become your competitors effectively, but learning from them and, and having them become your mentors. You talked earlier um, in that answer about the importance of mentors. It comes through very strongly in the book. You focus a lot in that. In fact, I have to, to tell you something. I, uh, around the time I was reading it, I was delivering some sessions on mentoring and I was quickly updating my notes as I went through with these great ideas you were sharing uh, in, <laughs> in the it. book as well. So, it, it, you know, it added to, 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 to that uh, topic for me. So I'm, I, I take it from everything you've written in the book and what you've just said. I think the Steve uh, Kerr story is uh, a great example. Would you say that mentorship was central to uh, high achievers' success? And how much of that was what I would call formal mentorship? Uh, will you help me to reach the next step in my journey? And how much of it was informal, just knowing who to pick up the yes. phone to and doing it? Almost sounds like you read my recent Psychology Today article where I <laughs> took a stand against formal mentoring um, and more towards um, informal mentoring. Um, so all of them had a team of informal mentors. These were people who were their guides by their sides, who believed in them more than they believed in themselves. And very often they were accidental mentors, people they stumbled into who then really helped them. They, they saw something in them and really helped them. And I think that's a <clears throat> that was a very big deal and that really helped them move forward. And one of my favorite stories was actually one of Nicole Stott. Nicole Stott is an astronaut. She's an engineer. She had worked at, at NASA for years, and she would see the astronauts walking through NASA, right, to her, they're regular people. And NASA at one point decided that you do not need to be a pilot to be an astronaut, and they opened it up to others. And it's very competitive to be an astronaut. And her mentor went up to her 
And he didn't say to her, it's so hard, you may not get in, it's super competitive. He said, control what you can control. And the one thing you can control is to fill out the application. And she put pen to paper and she filled out the application. Now, sadly, she did not get in the first time, but he encouraged her to reapply. And she did. And she got in. And she's been to space. And she's a fabulous person. (laughs) Nicole Stott. So it's just having those people around you that are going to give you that extra push you need every now and then. So so tell us, what was the the gist of your Psychology Today article? I mean, you told (laughs) us the headline. um, But what's your argument for making a stand against formal mentoring? I think mentoring is cool. It's sexy. It's the, you know, we laugh. It's the new kale, right? It's everybody wants it. But, and organizations are really trying to create these formal mentoring programs, right? And they'll say, Andy, you wear glasses. Ruth, you wear glasses. Therefore, you should be each other's mentors. It's that random. It's based on an alma mater, your favorite color. You both like marketing, you, you know, whatever it is. But that's not how you connect people together. There's no chemistry in that. Just like all people from London are not the same, you can't just pair people who are both from London together. It just doesn't work that way. But what you can and should do instead is create these opportunities where there's organic mentoring that can occur. People can meet each other in these accidental ways. And then you can have the formal opportunities to actually cultivate those mentoring relationships But assigning people without an exit ramp if it doesn't work can actually cause more harm than good because if it doesn't work out, those people who have been burned will never seek to find a mentor again. And that's too bad because those who have mentors out-earn and outperform those who are not mentored. So we need to be very careful about those formal programs. I think it's a, it's a it's a very important point. I've been doing a lot of work with with companies on uh, mentorship, and I think where they struggle the most, and that this isn't to be dismissive of the work that goes in, because a lot of work goes in to the matching process, um, but it's so hard to get right, so it's hard random. to get right. Um, and you do, I, I I know someone who's putting together something that, or has put together something in the professional services field that seems to address this. Um, but it, it's not it's not widespread enough at the moment, and that's that's the problem. But your other point there is that you need a good off ramp. You mm-hmm. need to be able to have a safe off ramp where either or both of the participants can turn around and say it's not working, and yep. exit gracefully uh, without right. any damage to relationships, which is key. We've covered mentoring a lot in our conversations before and on the podcast, so I just wanted to touch on it for the purposes of today. Uh, but I think that's. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting point, and we'll yeah. There's something I'll share with you separately about that. That's that's interesting on what you just said. Um, <laughs> now everyone listening is going, hold on, why aren't you sharing with all hold of us? On, what are these private <laughs> conversations they're having? Um, yeah, note to self: don't mention private conversations on the podcast. It's because um, we're all we're up to doing something bigger and better, which everyone will find absolutely. out about at some point. Absolutely, um, we okay. figure it out. when we figure it out. Have you subscribed to the Connected Leadership Podcast yet to make sure that you never miss an episode? For more resources from Andy, including a regular tips newsletter, videos, blogs, and more podcasts, please visit andylapata.com forward slash insights. 
So I'm going to move on from mentoring to social media because I, as long as things work out, the next episode of the podcast after this will actually be about why leaders should engage with social media. So this is quite a nice trailer for that uh, and uh, quite a nice uh, taster for it as well. Um, in the book, you encourage people to engage on social media. Uh and you have quite an interesting phrase that I picked up from it. And you, you stress that you don't need to be an influencer, but you do need to engage. Uh, and I think anyone that's worked with me around my work on social media, would, would that would resonate with them as well. But I'd really like your take on that. Look, it, it, to be an influencer is a full-time job. It's a full-time job for people. I already have a full-time job, more than one, right? I have a full-time job and marketing the book and everything else. But what happens is if you want to connect with people, and let's take LinkedIn, for example. If you are on it, that's great. But if all you do is read other people's posts and you don't post anything or connect with anyone, you will never show up on my feed. I have over 17,000 connections and over 17,000 followers. You are not going to appear on my feed. I will not know if you ex that you exist if you don't somehow engage with the content. Now, if you start if I start posting, which I do regularly, and you like it or leave a comment, it's usually the same people who always do that. And after a while, you quickly start to recognize their names. And then that person starts to check out their profile and sees who they are and they'll and they'll respond back, et cetera. But now you're top of mind. Now I know your name and I see that headline under your name. So now you are front of mind and you're starting to get embedded in my mind. But if all you're doing is reading my content, I don't even know that you exist. Now take the flip side of that. If you start to post and we're connected, I'm going to see what you posted. And now you're top of mind to me. You are top of mind to me because I have now seen your post. If I start engaging by liking and or commenting, now I will also be top of mind for you. So few people actually do this. And it's such a missed opportunity. They'll run around to these cocktail receptions and these networking receptions where they're really only talking to five people at the end of the day, if you're lucky, right? Deep conversations where you can contact, you can connect with so many people on social media. Now, what everyone doesn't realize, everyone who's listening, Andy and I have yet to meet in person. We've spoken hundreds of times. We've had hundreds of Zooms, podcast episodes, but we have yet to meet in person because you can connect with people and have meaningful conversations even when you've never met them in person. Absolutely. And in fact, what people won't know as well is that we met just because you sent me a connection request on LinkedIn. And I'm going to I'm gonna come back to the rest of your answer in a moment, but I want to indulge myself for a moment if I can. And I haven't had a chance your to show, chat Andy. to you about this. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a chance to chat to you about this, Ruth, but... We, we connected because you sent me a connection request. Now, you sent me, if I remember correctly, a standard connection request. I would like to add you to my professional network on LinkedIn. And I replied and said, tell me more. 
And then you explain how you came across my work, who we knew in common, and that led to a Zoom call conversation and a connection straight away. LinkedIn have taken away the ability for free members to reply to, to people who want to connect and use the standard template. So now you have got uh, the only choice is to accept and you don't know who you're accepting into your network or reject and you don't know who you're turning away from your network. So I'm at, at the well, this is in the last few days. I, I had uh, at the point we're, we're, we're chatting on the 1st of April. Uh, I had um, a conversation with LinkedIn earlier this week to clarify what was happening. What they have said to me is they'll pass my comments on to their product development team. But if plenty of people write in and say the same thing, they'll reconsider. So uh, I want to have a separate conversation with you, Ruth, about this, because I think we can possibly really sort of turn to our mutual network to, to get a campaign going. But I'm going to talk to, to some LinkedIn experts I know and see if we can put a campaign together. But if you're listening to the podcast and, and you respond to connection requests from people you don't know, as I always ask people to do, and you find you can't do that anymore, can you please send a note to LinkedIn asking them why and asking them to reinstate it? So there's there's my little uh, public service announcement for the day. Um, but back to, to what you said, because there's a couple of important points I want to pick up uh, in, in your response. You talked about people who just sit on LinkedIn and read. We, we call them lurkers. That's right. They lurk in the shadows and watch whatever else, everyone else is going on. Now, that is a perfectly valid approach to using LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or whatever if your strategy for using that platform is uh, to get information and insight. If it's a research tool, in other in other words, and I I have clients who I've worked with, and when they come and start to work with me, they say they lurk and they lurk because their job is to do uh, competitor research, to do client research, and so forth. That's fine, but you are missing out on building relationships. And I I, I turn around a very common saying out of sight out of mind and I always talk about insight in mind and you were talking about people seeing you there I talk about being on people's radar and my advice to people is to take a 10-minute test uh, the 10-minute test is every day uh, or the 10-minute challenge sorry I should say a uh, 10-minute challenge every day spend 10 minutes on LinkedIn on your newsfeed scroll down it don't just stick at the top because then you'll just reinforce the same people will come up scroll through and like comment on or share at least three posts and do so where you comment where you share do so meaningfully not just well done but try and create a conversation and give yourself one point for a like two points for a comment three points for a share because they each have, if you do them the right way, they have impact, increasing impact uh, you know, in that order. Uh, and set yourself a points target for the week. And if you do that consistently, you'll find your engagement on LinkedIn will go through the roof yeah. uh, and your relationships will follow. I, I really, I 100% agree and co-sign everything that you've said. And I, and I want to give people another incentive. Um, I have a column in Forbes and in Psychology Today, and I write a lot, right? Five times a month at Forbes, about once a month in Psychology Today, plus other, you know, other journals as well. And to come up with topics that often, that takes a lot of creativity. 
And what happens, what I have done repeatedly is as I'm scrolling through LinkedIn and I see somebody's post and it grabs my attention in some way, I will reach out to them and I will say, I loved your post. I'd love to write an article for Forbes about it. Can we chat? Or can I ask you some questions? Or can you send me more information? Or can I quote you? And that's how some people who innocently put that amazing post together on LinkedIn now are featured in Forbes. So it makes a difference. People are watching and you do want to post things and you want to engage with other people's posts so that if somebody wants to write something and you have the opportunity, therefore, to get featured, it's a great opportunity. Great opportunity. So there you go. PR agent. If you want to be featured in Forbes or Psychology today, make sure you're following Ruth on LinkedIn. Uh, Ruth's also very active on Instagram. You're active on Twitter as well, aren't you? Yeah. Um, and, and easy to find, um, particularly if you're connected to me. Uh, and, There's and only one Ruth engage. Exactly. <laughs> follow and engage. Follow and engage. Not, yes. Don't just follow. Don't be a lurker. Uh, I've got to find a rhyme for that. Don't be a lurker, be a berserker. That doesn't quite work, but there's going to be something there. Uh, and then I can create a meme that everyone well, will engage with. I'll tell with. you what, <laughs> when, when you post this, this podcast episode, yeah. when people hear it, go on social media and put in the comment what you think would rhyme with lurker, which would be the opposite. There and we go crowdsource the solution let's find this perfect perfect networking in action um there you go (laughs) back to the book back to the book this is the thing back to the success factor we now we now get on so well that we keep getting distracted from what we're meant to be doing (laughs) Uh, but it's all connected it's all connected it's all connected Uh, absolutely well look there there were a couple of um a couple of things you talk about in the book i do want to cover before we finish the the interview um I just noticed you cough off mic there, and I'm really worried you're catching my cough uh, <laughs> <Across> <laughs> over the, the internet. Over the internet, um, I, there was one thing that when I read the book, and I think it was quite early on in the book, and it was probably the the, uh, the first moment that made me sit up and go, "Oh, I'm not just reading this out of courtesy. I need to know more about this. I love this." Was I you talked it. about the distinction between intrinsic and extrins- extrinsic motivation? Yeah. Tell us more because I loved it. Yeah. So um, I work in academia and I worked there for 23 years before I ever hung my diplomas on the wall. Because those diplomas, those awards, those promotions, those bonuses, they are what we call extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is when other people are judging you. And that's really difficult to maintain long term. But the something that's it, it's very good for the short term, but long term, you can't maintain that. And that's why the diplomas, they're nice. It's a nice recognition, but that's not what what pushes you forward long term intrinsic motivation, that comes from within. That is the fire inside of your belly. That is the reason that you wake up in the morning. That is why you were put on this earth. So for example, 
let's say that there is, God forbid, somebody in your family who suffered from cancer. Horrific disease. Takes the toll on the patient, takes the toll on the family, takes a toll on the friend. Now imagine you like science and you want to devote yourself to finding a treatment so that nobody needs to suffer the way your family member suffered. Nobody needs to lose another mother, sister, friend, daughter, son. Nobody. Now, when you have that fire from within, that intrinsic motivation, when you are hit with a challenge, your paper gets rejected, the experiment doesn't work, you don't get the grant funding, you're not going to quit. Because if you quit, you won't find the treatment eventually. So what happens is when you're faced with a challenge and you have that intrinsic motivation, that fire that's burning from within, when you are then faced with a challenge, it's never a question of if you will overcome a challenge. Of course you will. You'll find the funding. You'll do the experiment again. Instead, you focus on how to overcome the challenge. What is the strategy I have not thought of yet? because there's a bigger purpose. There's a bigger mission there. So what you need to focus on is not the awards and promotions. It's how can you pour gasoline on that fire within you? And that's why every single time I asked an Olympian at the end of our interview, can you show me your medals? Only two of them had it on display. The rest had it in a box under the bed in the nightstand. Apollo Ono had it in a brown paper bag in his sock drawer. And I thought it was odd. And they said to me, it was never about the medal. That's a chapter in my life, not the entire story. And it's so true because if it was about the medal, if it was about getting the Nobel, they would have quit doing science right after they won the Nobel Prize. But you had Dr. Bob Lefkowitz on your show. He won his Nobel Prize in chemistry in 2012. I just spoke to him yesterday. He is still running his lab and still doing research. You don't quit his, just because it, you got In his work. 70s, in his 70s yeah. as well. Yeah. And, and we had Goldie Sayers was one of the first guests on the, the Connected Leadership podcast um, back in 2020. And, and Goldie uh, <laughs> had the perfect name to, to, for, to be an Olympian. Uh, she got bronze. Um, and and sadly, ten years later, because it, it uh, there was a Russian ahead of her who had uh, not done everything by the book, should we say? But it took a long time to resolve that. So she got her medal uh, only a few years ago. It hangs over a bin. Uh, it's the same story. So it really resonated when I read that in the book because I know Goldie's uh, story as well. Uh, one one final uh, question on on the the, the general interviews and conversations you had then i'll just ask you to summarize you know what the, what the key takeaways for the book are we always hear about the importance of goal setting and the importance of having a strategic plan to achieve things of course i talk about professional relationships and referral strategies did everyone that you interview have clear goals and a long-term strategic plan or how much did lucky accident, if you like, um, play a role in, in people's success. Whose long-term goal was to make the Olympics. I don't know of a single scientist who started doing science with the goal 
of getting the Nobel. What they had was short-term goals and very clear strategies how to hit the milestones in order to achieve the goals. And then those goals started building on each other. And that's when you get exponential success because one builds on the other. So for example, if you're an athlete and you're good at sports, it's not about winning the Olympic gold. It's about being the best in your school, then being the best in your region, then being the best in your state, then nationals, then worlds. And then eventually, if you're lucky, (laughs) if you're lucky, you may get to that international stage. Um, But it's all about the small, small goals and doing everything you can to actually achieve them. It it brings to mind, I I heard a uh, a British author, uh, Dr. Ranjan Chatterjee, on the radio yesterday, and he shared a story that I've heard before from this person's own mouth on, on another podcast. Um, but an icon in British sport is Johnny Wilkinson. Uh, and Johnny Wilkinson is an icon because he scored a a drop goal kick in the Rugby Union World Cup in 2003 that meant Uh, England beat Australia in the last second of the game. So it was a huge, huge moment. He was 24 years old and his goal in life was to win the Rugby World Cup with England. He was 24 and he talks about how in that moment, suddenly everything ended for him. He had nowhere to go. So actually, rather than feeling high and celebrating, everything went into a slump for him and it, it affected him uh, very strongly. So I'm no expert on goal setting, but, but but hearing that story, hearing what you've just shared, I think there is a discussion there to be had and maybe I, I know exactly who I would invite on the podcast for this, but yeah. a yeah. discussion to have about, about what's next. balancing short-term and long-term goals. Uh, but but yeah, that, that fits yeah, and that fits perfectly with what you just said and it fits uh, with, with what you, you said about how people look at the medals and certificates. It's the, the different motivations as well. All ties together. Great. Okay, so the book is The Success the success Factor, Developing the Mindset and Skill Set for Peak Business Performance by Dr. Ruth Gottian on Kogan Page. Ruth, what oh, a- Andy, are I am the so excited you, you brought me here to talk readers about are take the success from this factor. Look, the, the book is broken up into three parts. The first part is making the business case for having high achievers. Right? They do 400% more work. This is where we should be putting our efforts. The second part of the book are the four elements of success, not habits, mindsets. We cannot copy other people's habits, but we can emulate their mindsets. And the last, I'm an adult educator. I have to teach you how to implement these things in your lives. So it takes the four elements of success and gives you different ways that you can actually actualize those elements of success. And there is what I call a buffet of options because we're different. What works for you is not going to work for me. What works for me today is not going to work for me the next time I have a transition in my life. So there's different ways that you can implement all of these strategies in your life. And instead of talking about one day I'm going to do all this, we're not talking about one day. We're making today day one. The book is called The Success Factor. Ruth, thank you so much for coming back on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I hope we will have you again soon, maybe with your next book. 
Thank you so much to Ruth for joining me. Uh, I, I've, <laughs> I promised ages ago that we'd have Ruth on to talk about the success factor. Um, and it's taken a little while because it came out around Christmas, but worth the wait. And the book is definitely worth the read. So thank you so much for joining us on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Uh, we, um, next week, all being well, uh, because I haven't recorded the interview yet, so I'm never quite sure, we'll have Phil, jo- Phil Jones, the Chief Executive of Brother UK, and Sam Rathling uh, of Pipeline 44, talking about why leaders should engage on social media. And Phil is one of the best business leaders I know in terms of the way he engages with people on social media. And in fact, we met by engaging on Twitter many years ago. And through that engagement, he invited me as his guest to an awards ceremony they were sponsoring and the relationship built from there. So the perfect uh, partnership of people uh, to bring on to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, Ruth talked earlier uh, about enjoying the reviews, please do post one uh, or a rating. I really do appreciate it. It means a lot when I see that and it tells other people about the show. And I will see you again very soon on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.